Welcome to Karura's Weekly Podcast. Our hope is that your spiritual life will be fruitful as you listen in. We start in 3, 2, 1. Happy Pentecost Day. Okay, turn to your neighbor. Wish them a happy Pentecost Day. Today is the Pentecost Day. What happened during the Pentecost? Just ask them, what happened during the Pentecost? Have you experienced this uh, personally in your personal life? Awesome, awesome. Now, um, a few, a few, a few years ago, no, many years ago, um, when rural community chapel, eleven years ago, I used to live on the other side of town, so I would leave home pretty early in the morning, um, so that I do not get stuck in traffic. So I would always, almost, always, be the first person in in office. So, push the work, you know, before everybody else came in. Um, and, and I did this for years. Then, at some point, I, I lost a friend, I lost a colleague. And I realized it was, you know, wearing me down. And one day, I woke up. Usually, I, would, I used to wake up at 5 a.m. So, one day, I woke up. And my body and my mind refused. And I could hear my body tell me, Martin, not today, not this early. And I went back to bed, only to wake up at around 10 a.m. And I showed up in the office at midday. Now, I'm, I'm sure the HR wasn't very happy with me then. And this pattern repeated itself for like two weeks. And on the third week, I was like, no, there must be something that's wrong. So my office used to be downstairs on this block before it was, um, you know, uh, reconstructed. And the HR office was upstairs. So I rose from my desk, went up to the HR office, and I told them, I need help. I need help. I'm, I'm losing it. And I don't know how we get there as people. I don't know what happens when we are there. I don't know where there is. When we say there, what, what, where is there? What is there? And today, I want to invite our guests uh, who will help me. Just be able to discuss what is there, who is there, where is there. Uh, please help me invite on stage um, our three panelists. Uh, so I'll invite uh, Dr. Eunice Gidai. Please put your hands together. Help me invite Lois Kagwe. Um, and help me invite Dr. Christian uh, Matthew up on stage. Let's appreciate them as they come up here. So, Dr. Eunice Gidai um, is, is the chairperson of the psychology department at the Kenyatta University. Um, she's also a lecturer in psychology. Uh, she's also a member of this church. So, we are happy to have her. Let's appreciate her and welcome her. Then I'm joined by 
Uh, Lois Kagwe. Lois Kagwe is a senior lecturer at uh, International Leadership University, and she's a counseling psychologist. Let's celebrate and welcome her. Then I'm invited also by Dr. Matthew. Um, uh, the, the third name is difficult for me to say. Uh, so Dr. Matthew is, um, is a certified professional mediator. He's a family and marriage therapist as well. Uh, he's or originally from Nigeria, but I think he's been in Kenya for five years. So once you are in Kenya for over a year, we, we adopt you. You become a Kenyan. Let's welcome him uh, to join us this morning. So today we want to have a conversation about mental health. And this is a place that many of the times we, it, it's a difficult conversation to have. So I will not even attempt to have this conversation, but I will attempt to get us started on this conversation. And many times people talk of mental health or mental illnesses. What really are they talking about? Dr. Eunice, what would you say mental health is? Thank you very much, uh, Reverend Martin. Um, mental health is actually the state of well-being. It's a, we've got several components, you know, uh, that make us whole. You've got the physical body, you've got the psychological body, you know, also we have got the uh, physical, you know, the body, yeah? you've got the mind, you've got the spirit. So if you look at the World Health Organization and the way it defines health, it's that state of being physically, psychologically, socially, and spiritually healthy. So when you're talking about mental wellness, then it's that state of well-being whereby we are able to be mentally healthy or psychologically healthy. We are carrying out our day-to-day -day activities as expected. We are waking up, going to work. If it's a student, they are going to school. Um, we are having good emotional regulation we are doing, we are productive, really. That's what it means. And um, I would want to say probably that uh, we don't know whether we are 100%, 100%, you know, mentally health, but we shall get to that conversation as we move on. So that's what I have to say, Reverend Martin. Okay. Thank you. So, so um, mental, so that is mental health. So mental illness, is it the opposite of mental health? Exactly. So what you're saying here is like we've got a spectrum, mm. okay? On the extreme side is mental health. On the other extreme side is mental illness. And all of us are along that spectrum. Mm. Either you're mentally healthy and, you know, perfect in wellness, or you're on the other side. We don't have zero because zero would mean you're dead, but at least you can go up to one and say that we are all on that spectrum. Mm. So it's very hard to say that this is the line because anytime you can sleep over, you're mentally healthy, you find yourself on the side of the mental mm. ill health. Yeah. Or you could be on the side of mental ill health and you find yourself here. So we are all actors or characters playing along that spectrum. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Dr. Uh, Luis, <coughs> what, what are the common mental illnesses in the society and what causes them? The most common is what we call depression, anxiety, maybe bipolar. Those are not extreme uh, mental health, as Dr. Manu was saying, but those affect 
us. What, what Reverend Martin did, he introduces to us one of the causes, loss. If you've lost a close friend, you lost a very close family member, you lost a job, you lost a marriage, you, you are going through divorce, it is very easy to go down with depression. And actually what he was describing is some of the symptoms of depression. That you don't enjoy going to work, you don't enjoy the things you used to enjoy, you feel sad, you are tearing, you can't sleep, or you, have, you oversleep. Those could be signs of depression. Anxiety shows sometimes when you are so anxious that you can't even start doing something, or something triggers you because you were anxious, especially when you are growing up. So something will always trigger anxiety. So some people suffer from anxiety attacks. And maybe I could add one of the major causes of depression, and most people who, are dep who get depression in adulthood is those that grew in very, very difficult families very difficult family environment where you experience physical abuse, where you experience as a child emotional abuse. So when you grow up, then you start get feeling anxious when similar situations appear. I think I want to stop. Mm, great. Um, thank you. Uh, Dr. Christian, tell me, how, how do I know or how would I know that I have a mental illness. Or even people around me, how would they know that I have mental, a mental illness? Thank you. Yes. Um, Kenyan Mental Health Focus Plan to, uh, 2021 and to 2025, um, page 36 and 39 of that book, uh, specify people we should look out um, for. Um, she already mentioned people who have had some losses, um, somebody that had experienced trauma, um, um, some pestilence, some uh, terrorism, and specifically mentioned five uh, people which uh, it was termed uh, the population that should be looked for. One, the youth. Um, two, the boy child. <laughs> the boy. The boy child. The boy child. Mm -hmm. um, the elderly. Um, the servicemen, like law enforcement agent. When he was saying in 30, uh, page 36, he was highlighting it that poopies school, um, pensioners, people are bereaved, people are traumatized. Um, those are the people we should look out for when we are thinking about um, um, mental health. But I must quickly say that in one way or the other, all of us 
are sick. Mm. Doctor said the other time. Pasi, mm. the classification DSM-5 will frighten us when we know who are the people we should look out for. Yeah. Somebody that has delayed ejaculation mm. in marriage. Mm. They said it has some problem. Mm. If somebody is stealing kleptomania, they say he has it. Mm. We see a lot of people driving recklessly within short distance. Mm. Attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD. It's a neuro disorder. Mm. So it's like all of us. Doctors said the other time that we are just between, <laughs> between the two. Mm. So everybody should be looked at above. If somebody is bereaved or somebody has a child or a husband, a wife in the prison, mm. it's, it's somebody that is going through a trauma. So people will look out for, even in the church. Yes. Um, you said you didn't want to come to the office that time. They should look out for you. Mm. I mean, it's like they just notice if you are consistent and you no longer want to do what you used to do, yeah. then that's a red flag. Mm. People should look out. We should be our brother's keeper anyway. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Wow. You need to look for someone. Look out for someone. Um, uh, Lois, I know you interact with many couples um, every day. Um, I don't know whether a couple can walk in to see you and you can pick things from just the way they've walked into your office and say they're there's, there's a mental issue here. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, you can tell even as they walk in. I'm actually a marriage and family therapist and I do a lot of couple therapy. And uh, what, even as they describe their relationship, you can tell this one is more cognitive. You, we... we we take care of the cognitive. What don't we have in the house? I am there. And yet, the one, one of them is saying, she or he is not emotionally there. I don't pick the emotions. He doesn't or she doesn't pick my emotions. She's a doer. So there are a lot of things you can tell that that couple are not emotionally connected mm. even as they have, uh, they, they have, they share the same house, they, they do parenting together. And unfortunately, as children grow up, they can pick that emotional disconnect. They can even pick that the parents are there to provide, but emotionally they are not there. So the children will grow, go to university, so they are developed. Cognitively, they are developed. Socially, they are developed. Maybe spiritually, they are brought to Sunday school. Mm -hmm. But emotionally, they are dwarfs. Mm -hmm. And so when they marry, those children marry, imagine we pass emotional pain to generations. Dr. Eunice, I know you're a mother of um, two young adults, but I also know you interact with uh, young people every day. 
in the line of your work. Um, how does it show up, uh, you know, among the young people um, that you can look at them as a parent, um, as, as a lecturer, you know, how, how, what do you see to be able to say, I, I think there are mental health issues here? Uh, thank you, Leverett. Um, just to say one thing before I answer your question, yeah. that uh, we've got non-clinical and clinical mental uh, illnesses. Eh? Mm -hmm. let, let me say mental health issues. Let yeah. me call them issues. The non-clinical are our everyday mm. kind of what we experience as normal human beings. You know, one day I'll feel down like David, why I use downcast within me, like mm -hmm. David and talk to myself, yes. you know, Psalms 42. And uh, sometimes it will be anxiety, mild anxiety, not the clinical anxiety. And so, uh, like, say I'm going for an interview and I'm starting to get a bit late and I'm starting to feel anxious. That's normal, you know. Mm -hmm. But then it's got stages. It gets worse as you get more uh, inclined to mental illness. So we've got what we can call non-clinical. They can come due to loss and grief. They can come due to uh, just not being able to have coping skills to do your work at your workplace so that you find probably you've got some uh, coping skills that you've not developed over time. You have got a problem with anger management. Mm -hmm. And so it's like uh, you're making everybody else in the work environment you know, I want to run away from you. We, uh, so there is an issue with emotional regulation. There is an issue with how you relate with people. Probably you don't know to relate, uh, to how to relate very well, depending on how you have gone through the path of your life up to where you are. They have got uh, uh, maybe uh, loss and grief is not a big issue if you are able to negotiate it in good time. But if it becomes delayed, that is now delayed grief. Mm -hmm. It comes with very serious uh, uh, sometimes, you know, symptoms. We've got those things that we may want to call non-clinical. There are also triggers within the environment that can make a normal person like me and you um, just react in a different way and you see a, a disordered kind of pattern. For example, if you're going through a, an abusive environment, you know, like a, uh, this domestic violence mm -hmm. or this intimate partner violence and so on, so this person may react in a way that uh, brings out the worst out of them shouting, anger, you know, all that stuff. So we, we call these mild non-clinical problems and these can be handled uh, either by a close friend, they can be handled. If you're feeling the ability to cope is going down, then you need to see a counselor about it. But then you've got the bigger issues, you know, those bigger problems, whereby now you're even reaching out for a bottle of alcohol and starting to get dependent on it. Now you're moving towards addiction. You're moving towards substance use disorder. And you start, uh, some people will take the substances and start feeling uh, like they're getting out of touch with reality. They're starting to develop what we call psychosis. Sorry for using big words. So they're starting to uh, hear voices or get out of you know, sync you know, with themselves. Mm -hmm. So you're starting to see that person starting to develop a different pattern. If it is depression, we've got the mild depression you know, mild, as in that one can be handled very easily by the counselor, by a warm person, by a therapeutic environment and so on. But then it progresses and becomes clinical depression. When it is clinical, now the symptoms change. So let me now answer your question about um, the symptoms you're looking for in young people. Mm -hmm. 
For a young person, and we know very well that when we are in an environment of young people, there is noise, there is dance, there is jubilation, there is that thing that tells you these people are full of energy, they are young people. But then among them, you find one who is isolating. They have started to pull out from the rest of the people. Mm -hmm. Or they are clingy, you know. They want to hold on to a trusted friend. Or they don't want you know, to, to, to join the, the group. They want only one person and it's like they possess that, they possess that person. Mm -hmm. And you can start seeing that pattern. Or the person gets a bit anxious, you know. It is exam time. Someone is reading the paper but you can see they are sweating. Now that goes beyond because it's normal to have exam anxiety. But when the anxiety becomes too much, then you know that it is not well. Mm. We've got panic, people who panic so much, they won't even be able to do the exam. Uh, one of the things that you realize among university students is chronic absenteeism. If a person is not feeling in the, the, the class list every other time, you have to notice as a lecturer and be able to pull them out because where are, where are they? Is it just absenteeism or is there isolation? So all these symptoms that you're talking about here depends on what is disturbing you. Now, let me go to the other side. There are people who internalize. Those are people who get easily depressed. There are people who externalize and they start talking nonstop, a production of a lot of ideas. Mm -hmm. Then you start asking yourself what's going on and the pace at which they're producing those ideas. You know, the knowledge is becoming too much. You want to ask yourself, is this person taking a drug? Or what is happening to their processing of thoughts? Because there's a way we process thoughts that we call normal range of processing of thoughts. Mm -hmm. But if it is too fast, then there's a problem. Again, if it is so slowed, then there's a problem. Just as you said, mm -hmm. you see from the way even a person walks. Mm -hmm. A person who is walking normally, I mean, there's no problem. But if you find a person is sluggishly walking and you know they don't look like they're motivated, that a motivation is a problem. Uh, again, if somebody is too hurried, even in the speech, it's too hurried, you want to listen to the content of their thoughts, they are being produced too quickly, and probably even the content of the thought is not consistent, mm -hmm. then you start getting very worried. And I could go on, uh, Reverend Martin, unless you stop me. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's interesting you say that. You know, I used to have a friend, uh, well, yes. And what, what they would do is either they found me too slow or they were too fast. Because I would tell them, Sasa, and then, uh, no, no, they would greet me, uh, Sasa, and instead of them waiting for my response, they would respond, like Sasa fit. <laughs> uh, you know, so it's interesting. You Some bring anxiety it there. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Lois, tell me, uh, do, do I matter? I mean, I, I, I have a mental health issue. Do I matter in the society? Do I matter in the office? Do I matter at home? Yes. Yes. Uh, we mentioned some of the mental health issues, the common mental health issues, like anxiety or depression. And do you know those close to that person can help if they feel loved, accepted, and especially listen to. Many times we don't listen. Many times we don't hear what we need to hear. Many times we don't spot the pain. Many times we give advice very quickly 
maisha ni hivyo and we don't help that person if only we could listen i've handled a lot of cases where relatives parents have lost a child through suicide and they come and say how come i didn't spot it but when they go through therapy they tell you you know what you are describing actually was there i remember one time she said this and i i, I didn't even listen and i told her i'll take you for lunch and she never repeated many times she gave she almost said i'm leaving and you'll never see me again and the mother asked kwani unaenda ulaya you didn't hear so those close to that person actually are the first therapists that if you listen to that person if you are there offering your ear it may be halfway done so we can help some of the time some of the i, I think um, she mentioned as a lecturer you can notice this one who is not coming to class who is isolating and many times it's just picking on that student and telling them come I want to see you what is happening in your life somebody has listened to that person and so those of us who are here you can pick the emotions of the people around you yes you can and you can help them if it is temporary to overcome whether it is loss whether it's grief whether it's depression because of a major loss you can help them both uh, uh, process that because you are there and you feel their emotions mm. yes well thank you uh, dr christian how how can we become a brother's keeper how can we be a sister's keeper this society is not very friendly i thank god for the church for this money i started lacking alone i say hey that church must be good the church must be good it's like you looked inward the church must be good that was what i i, I meant i started laughing to myself hmm. um there's this monolithic individualistic way of life everybody by himself we have left the africanism where you are your brother's keeper you don't care we just meet in the church mm. hi hi and we do meetings together we leave that person we can be when we observe when we 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 care we are close to that person there's a way you can study now in in counseling sometimes i mean a counselor is tempted to pathologize to say okay Oh, this is what this person is going through. I'm sorry, I think my mic is uh, oh, I'm oh, I'm too short. <laughs> so sometimes when you see somebody okay, when you, when you see somebody who is behaving in quote weird, the first thing we want to first say in the church is 
that sister has backslidden. Since what is the problem? <laughs> but somebody wearing dresses that are quite exposing or doing something weird, a psychologist will notice that, hey, one of the symptoms of borderline personality disorder is that overboard. You feeling that somebody will abandon you, somebody will not accept you if you don't appear a certain way, if you don't do certain things and all that. We just try to, see, psychiatrists do things that I like so well. When they see a psychiatrist, a psychiatric patient behaving, shouting, they also shout. Jump in, they jump. Oh, so we are, we are colleagues. And somebody, the brain will reset somehow. Let us be in their shoe. Let us, the empathy. Let us be concerned. Let us be interested in them. It's not just, hey, the Britons, you know what they do? They possibly will have sacked you while they were living upstairs. But by the time they have met you dance here, they ask you, hey, Christian, you mind a cup of tea? In fact, that person will prepare a cup of tea for me. When I came to Kenya, I see that we give cup of tea. I say, wow, these people are very kind. But I noticed that in offices, you can do otherwise. So what is the essence of the cup of tea? If you are not close to that person, we can be our brother's keeper if we have we keep watch on them. Sorry, I'm not saying that we do not have narrative. I know that if you met somebody on the road dying and you are trying to care for that person and that person dies, Kenyan police will arrest you. I know that very, very well. And I first introduced myself. Hey, I'm a Nigerian. When I, miss, I met somebody was was um, vomiting profusely, I mean very seriously, and there was a lady who was passing the, the, the road together. I said, hey, madam, you can't you want to say something to, that was 2018. Yeah, hey, she would die there, she would die there. I said, ah. I walked across, I bought a bottle of water, and I got, I said, my name is Christian, I am a Nigerian. So there are culture, you see, there's this cultural contact and cultural clash. And I said, look at this bottle, I just bought it, I want to open it now. You don't have to drink it, but uh, uh, put some on your face and uh, drink, uh, uh, put some in your mouth and spill it out. Whatever that is wrong with you will come down. The lady did that, and I was so shocked that the lady said, I said, what happened? She said, I am pregnant. It was early sign of pregnancy. and was vomiting profusely as if she wanted her intestine to go out. Anyway, I said, you have a husband? Please, you have a, his number? This is my phone or you call. And I say, I'm not going to leave this place until you are okay. Because your husband might say, yeah, walk across. You might, you might a, a vehicle can, can link you up. So I went, the guy came. And I introduced myself and I walked across. Incidentally, I met that lady that said she would die, she would die. He said, ha, you must be kind. I said, I'm not kind. What will happen to that person if she just died there? She's either a wife, a sister, a daughter to someone. And uh, I mean... Let's let just do it like Samaritan. A good Samaritan, just be nice to somebody in the church, find out some things about that. If somebody is not dressing, we'll find out about why, what had happened. That is my thought. Wow. Wow. Well, this is a conversation that uh, we may not finish this morning. 
but uh, we are definitely starting this conversation. So please help me appreciate my panelists as I usher them out of, out of the stage. They will be available um, after service. Um, there's, there's someone to pick the microphones as you exit. Uh, yeah, they will be available after the service if you want to interact with them, talk with them. And we also have um, a few people at the info desk. Uh, we have um, an organization called Wonder Peace uh, Rehab Center. We have Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, so you can pass by there and, uh, you know, you will find help um, and assistance uh, there. But also allow me to appreciate we, in this church, we have many uh, counselors that give of their time, give of their resources, give of their expertise. They are professional counselors. And whenever we have someone who needs counseling, we send or we refer these people to them. So allow me to appreciate some of them. I'll mention some of them. Wairimo uh, Wahome, if you're here, you could please stand. We just want to celebrate what you're doing within this community. Uh, Patricia Michobo, uh, if you're here. Uh, Felista Zonquare, if you're here, we can celebrate. Um, Jen Kuria, if you're here. Uh, Lucy Gashenia. If you're here, uh, Cecilia Mugo, if you're here, I think I saw Cecilia this morning. Uh, yes, she's over there. Um, Esther Olo, I don't know whether Esther is here. Uh, yes, she's right at the back. Let's appreciate all this. Um, you know, uh, they're professional counselors, they're psychologists, and they offer their time to be able uh, to support this congregation. So maybe you're here and that's your profession and you're wondering, what, what can I do? You're a therapist. How can I serve my church? We would love to get you engaged. Please uh, talk to any of our staff members or drop us an email or a text and we will get in touch with you so that you step up and get to serve God in your church as, as we grow together. Okay, so again, let, please help me appreciate all those people who serve. Thank you, panelists, uh, for taking your time. So allow me to conclude our time together this morning by very quickly reading a portion of scripture from the Gospel of Mark. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to the book of Mark. Uh, Pastor Wallace would tell you, please swipe to the book of Mark, uh, chapter 3. So Mark, chapter 3, uh, I will read verse 1 through 6. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Say to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you help us to be able to see the wonderful things in your law. In Jesus' name we pray. Four quick points, really quick. One, the withered hand. Two, the wicked plan. Three, the wonderful man. And four, the weighty command. 
the withered hand. So Jesus goes into this synagogue and, you know, it was a custom every, every Sabbath people would go there and the synagogue was a place for worship. People would find help in the synagogue. So Jesus goes there and the other, uh, Mark uh, notices someone else or records that Jesus notices a man who was there. And this was a man who had a shriveled or a paralyzed hand. Now, Dr. Luke, writing of the same story, writes in chapter 6, verse 6, he says that the shriveled hand, he doesn't stop there. He says it was the right hand of this man that was um, uh, paralyzed. Now, Jerome, the church historian, says that the paralyzed man was a construction worker. Now, what that means is that his hand was a key element in his livelihood. His income, therefore, must have been severely limited and affected by the paralysis of the hand. His ability professionally would be affected. He could no longer work in his vocation. He could no longer enjoy recreation because he was paralyzed. Now, two weeks ago, or maybe three weeks ago, a friend came um, here in church, and, and, and she told me, hey, I, I feel like I'm going crazy. I am looking for a community to connect with. Uh, please get me a community life group, and please do not get me one that meets online. I want one that meets in person because I feel like I'm losing touch with the world. I feel like I'm losing touch with the community because all my meetings are online. I rarely go to the office. So I'm, I'm just enclosed in the house. Please give me a community. And perhaps uh, this man the man with the paralyzed hand speaks to me and to you today. Perhaps there are areas in our lives where we feel they, they are not functioning the way they ought to. They are paralyzed. They are not uh, functioning the way we desire them to. We can say something isn't right. Vocationally, economically, in our relationships, in our families, we can say we are crippled and we are aware of it. This man certainly felt that way. Something wasn't working. So that's a withered hand, the wicked plan. So the Pharisees are there and they're watching Jesus in this synagogue and they're just waiting for him to make a mistake. They wanted um, to ensnare him because they knew he was a good man. They knew he was out to do good. Their interpretation of the Sabbath was skewed to make it clear that if you did anything on the Sabbath, then you would be violating the commands. They had rules and regulations that were ridiculous. Now, Sabbath was meant for refreshment and for relaxation, for worship, for rest. Yet they made it a day of legalities. They made it a day of regularities. And one of the rules was... You cannot perform a healing miracle on the Sabbath. So they came not to worship, but to watch in the synagogue, the Pharisees. Not to find fellowship, but to find fault. Not to 
commune, not for communion, but to critique. And I feel sometimes we may be guilty of the same attitude as the Pharisees. We have a wicked plan instead of wanting to do what is right. You see, someone who is crippled in a way, someone who is able differently in a way, and you devise a wicked plan to take advantage of them. Or you have an opportunity to do good, but you turn away and say, no, it's not for me. Um, yesterday, I was just going through social media, and then I, I came along a clip. And this clip was um, someone who was being thrown out of a matatu. Uh, and, you know, I followed the story and saw that the issue was that she hadn't paid the full bus fare. Uh, there was a balance of 20 shillings, I think, that she hadn't paid. And she was thrown out of the matatu. And people were there recording. Instead of helping, instead of saying, hey, stop, don't throw her out of the matatu. I, I will give five shillings. Another one says, I'll give five shillings. And, we would, and people would have covered the 20 shillings. Wicked plans. Wicked plans. The wonderful man. Jesus Christ is in this synagogue and he's attracted or he gravitates towards the man with a paralyzed hand. In those days, they believed that if someone was paralyzed, it was because they had been judged by God. He was a sinner, had done something terrible and he was sort of ostracized in the congregation. They, they were not really welcome and embraced within the congregation. They usually would sit at the back of the congregation. And we most likely have our funny beliefs about people who are suffering in some way. We're like, why are they suffering that? They must have done A, B, C, D things. Funny beliefs. But there's a wonderful man. Jesus comes into this congregation and he goes towards a man who is aware of his paralysis. It was a person with the greatest needs. And he likens himself to a physician. Sometime last year, my wife called me um, when she was in the office. She told me, um, I'm, I'm passing by the hospital. Um, so I'll be late coming home. And that was around 6 p.m. Um, then I, I was out when I came in around 8 p.m., I called her. She was still at the hospital. So I went to the hospital, and she hadn't been served. She was still waiting to be served. Um, we ended up leaving the hospital that evening after midnight. But it's interesting. As we were waiting there, there are like three people who came, and they did not have to wait their cases were emergencies. It was an emergency. So when they were brought in, they were taken directly to the doctor, to see the doctor. You see, Jesus sees us. And he says, you can come direct to me. Your case is an emergency. I will respond to it. You do not need to wait 
just come in where I am. What Jesus did for this man with the paralyzed hand illustrates Jesus' concern for those who are suffering. And like the prophet Isaiah prophesied in chapter 42, he says, He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been drawn. He will not oppress you. He will bring healing upon you. In Mark chapter 2, it says, uh, verse 15, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is the great physician. He has come because we are not healthy. Like the panelists um, share that we are in, in that spectrum. But even more than that, we are all sick in need of a savior. He's a great physician. Jesus did not just come to heal the physical. While he was on earth, yes, he did miracles, healing the sick people. But beyond that, he also came to heal the emotional and the spiritual. And today, if you're here, I want to tell you that Jesus has the power to heal you, to restore you, whether it's physical, emotional, or spiritual. He's the deal for our lives. Finally, the weighty command. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. This man could have raised questions. Why do you want to embarrass me? Why are you telling me to stand and, you know, putting me on the spot? Why do you want me to do this? But he did not. He took the risk to obey the command, the word that Jesus had spoken. As I was preparing, I came across a poem by William Arthur Ward. It says, to laugh is to risk appearing a fool. To weep is to risk appearing sentimental. To reach out to another is to risk involvement. To expose feelings is to risk exposing your true self. To place your ideas and dreams before a crowd is to risk their loss. To love is to risk not being loved in return. To hope is to risk despair. To try is to risk failure. But risks must be taken because the greatest hazard in life is to risk nothing. The person who risks nothing, does nothing, has nothing, is nothing. He may avoid suffering and sorrow, but he cannot learn, feel, change, grow, or live. Jesus speaks to this man, stretch out your hand. He stretches it out and his hand is completely restored. Completely. He dared to act, this man. And as he dared to act, he was able to act. As he dared to do what he thought he couldn't, he found that the Lord was there to enable him to do it. 
Reminds me of that instance of the disciples when the disciples saw Jesus walking on water. Then Peter was like, Lord, if that is you, call me to come. And Peter steps out. And uh, friends, other than Jesus, Peter is the only man that I know has divided gravity and has walked on water. Took the risk. God's commandments are God's enablement for us. When he says, stretch out your hand, he's enabling you to do it. You say, I have marriage issues. He says, or you say, I can't love her. She says, I can't submit to him. The Bible says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. You say, I don't know what to do with my children. How do I talk to them? What do I say to them? The Bible says, train up a child in the ways of the Lord. You say, I am sad. I feel ABCD about these issues. The Bible says, rejoice always. You're anxious about that interview or that relationship. The Bible says, be anxious about nothing. You say, I don't have food. I do not have school fees. I do not have money for rent. The Bible says, don't be worried. Ask and you will receive because you're worth much more. As the worship team comes, he says, or you say, I feel worthless. I don't matter. The Bible says, you're worth much more. Created in his image, brought at a price, and he has called you friends. He deeply loves you. You're experiencing a rough patch at work or in your life. The Bible says in everything, give thanks. What area are you paralyzed in today? What area do you feel crippled? What area do you feel not healthy in your life? You're saying, I can't deal with my children. I can't get a job. I can't have a second opportunity. I can't, I can't. The Lord is speaking today and you can respond to him. You can tell him, Lord, I will receive your word. I will receive your commandment your empowerment, your enablement. I will receive your healing today. Let's all rise as we close. Has this message challenged you? We hope that it has been a blessing in your life. If you would like to give your life to Christ or talk to or pray with someone, kindly reach us on WhatsApp 0721 990 880. God bless you.